Love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. So good afternoon and welcome to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM at Chapel FM Arts Centre in Studio One, which is quite warm and well, sort of full of poets, which is always lovely. Uh, we've got Pennine Platform back again, and that's that's a pleasure. So we're going to be hearing lots of poetry. And, and hearing people's thoughts on the poems that we hear. And I'm going to hand over to the editor-in-chief, Julia Deakin. Thank you, Peter. I'm delighted to welcome from issue 93 the contributors Jane Kite, uh, who's travelled all the way from Otley to Seacroft, Stuart Handysides, who, uh, as a first for this programme, has come up the M1 one from Hertfordshire, from Ware, uh, Suzanne Martin, who's come from Manchester, and uh, Mick Jenkinson from uh, over in Doncaster. And so um, we're going to read their poems from the issue and discuss those and other poems of their choice by um, contributors and we couldn't quite fit in the studio. So I'd like to uh, ask you, Jane, to read your lovely poem, Thursday Night at the Asoldo Stretford. Thanks, Julia. Um, this, this poem uh, is sort of about when I used to work in a, a bingo hall. Um, I, I didn't work there very long, but I really liked it. And I left because um, I really wanted to be the bingo caller, but um, <laughs> at that particular place, they were all men, so uh, decided not to bother. Um, so this is Thursday night at the Asoldo Stretford. Grab your dabber pen, stack up as many cards as you can cope with, now concentrate. Eyes down and on its own, number one. The caller's a cheeky chap. Duck and dive, 25, 30, dirty gurty. Callers were generally men of that type that us women in them days, well, quite liked. A baby sham in the intermission. Five-part drive to last the night. Two fat ladies, 88. If you won, you'd share it out. Most times we lost. But we'd have a bit of fun and a flirt. Tickle me, 63. Not much brass spent and nobody hurt. So do you have a fondness for Stretford, Jane, as well as for bingo? Um, I don't have much fondness for Stretford. Uh, it was fairly close to, to where I lived as a child. Um, but I, I think the what attracted me about the bingo, I think, was really the rhymes... And mm. and uh, I think it, it it sort of felt like an extension of childhood nursery rhymes and it, skipping rhymes and all, all those rhymes that people use in their lives and don't even know they're doing it, but they know that they anything that rhymes they catch. So. They are so important, aren't they, for children? And I think they do lead to many people uh, getting into poetry. And... Um, we have some listeners in America, I think. We certainly have contributors from America who said they would uh, try and ch call in, tune in. So if and when they are listening, I should just perhaps explain that um, Stretford is mm, 40, 50 miles on the other side of the Pennines, the um, range of hills, not mountains, that go up the, the spine of the uh, British Isles. And there's a certain uh, love-hate relationship between the two sides of the Pennines, Yorkshire and Lancashire, or Greater Manchester as Stretford now is. Yeah, that's a poem full of atmosphere, isn't it? Um, I think perhaps we will uh, hear from each of the people sitting around the table before all being well, we can return and, uh, and read other poems from the magazine. So maybe let's uh, hear Stuart's poem. Stuart Handicides. 
Yeah, this, this is a poem called Following Philip into Church. And, uh, and the Philip is, is Philip Larkin, um, whose, whose poem Church Going was one, one that I studied at school uh, for O-level. Um, and uh, I, I remember thinking it was, it was kind of cool to be studying modern poets at school, I didn't know much about poetry, but uh, um, it seemed 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 a nice thing to be thing to be doing. And and this poem always kind of stuck with me in a way. And uh, I was at a workshop last uh, October, and uh, suddenly it turned into a poem. So here we go. Following Philip into church, his bicycle gives him away. It's black and heavy chain enclosed, its saddle sprung, straight handlebars, built for neglect and service, not for speed. He's propped it in the southern porch and must have gone inside. There's no one here among the stones that mark the dead in Christ, they hope. The pious loving words, the dates, the names once common now eschewed, the texts. I lift the snack and push the heavy door to breathe a musty air that's unexchanged from week to Sunday week. And there he is, up at the holy end, in raincoat, glasses, musing that the nearly 70 years have barely changed this place. Still less belief, commitment, but like Hardy's Christmas Eve, some glimmer of a wish it might be so. Larkin has inspired a great many poems. He was a real presence, wasn't he? And uh, talking of love-hate relationships, he, he um, sparked quite a bit of disagreement, affectionate disagreement, I think, about um, his, uh, his oeuvre. I'm a great fan myself. It's um, difficult to separate what you know, what we now know or think we know about the man from his poems, and that uh, can be a, a confusing issue. But um, I love this poem. I love the way you bring in Hardy as well, and um, I think it's very... Faithful to Larkin, I think Larkin himself would have approved. Julia, <laughs> <laughs> if I could, I've just read a book called I don't know if anybody's read it called Monica, Philip Larkin and Me. You read it? I haven't read it. Yeah, I, I do thoroughly recommend it. It's fascinating. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean more perceptions about and insights into to him, but particularly her. I think she was a great influence on his writing in in a in a very beneficial, benevolent kind of way. Mm. So a recommendation. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, she was, like a lot of women who are associated with men, uh, tended to be vilified a bit at times um, as having somehow been a bad influence. How you can be a bad influence on Philip Larkin, I'm not sure, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I have read a, a number of uh, books about uh, Larkin and the um, when um, Hull was City of Culture uh, a few years ago, they had some wonderful exhibitions at the University of uh, his archive and um, many of the Hull residents who hadn't known Larkin uh, as a poet um, or indeed known much poetry at all were really uh, turned on to the the place of his work and the relevance of his work to uh, to the twentieth and twenty first century. Had a whole a whole selection of his uh, personal library, didn't it? Yes, which was a very eclectic mixture. Yes, uh, including sort of things like Billy Bunter and Jennings books and that kind of thing. Yeah, but also there, there was some uh, some recordings that you could listen to of him and his mother talking. Oh. Which were fascinating. Oh, did you, I didn't. Did you... I didn't hear those. No, that right. would have been interesting. Yeah, yeah. we we did actually have a poem um, about Larkin in the uh, in issue ninety two as well, uh, as I recall. I think that may have been Kevin Hansen. Um, forgive me if I've got that wrong, but it was an excellent poem. And so, um, I think it's time for a little bit of music. Going back to Manchester. Are we ready for a little of the Smiths? The rain falls hard on a 
Another artist who is uh, controversial and the less you know about him, the easier it is to uh, enjoy the output, the creativity. I definitely have mixed feelings about the Smiths. I think my husband will be quite surprised that um, uh, we've had that one. But um, I'm mellowing uh, like most of the people around this table, I hope. So, um, Stuart... You um, wrote another poem which I would like to to go slightly um, off our agenda now and have you read now because Simon Curry, for whom Joe Peters wrote this lovely poem, is um, was well known and held in in great affection, I think, by um, poets on this side of the Pennines and possibly beyond. Uh, and somebody that it was possibly easy also to uh, to prejudge uh, from his manner and bearing, but um, a very brave poet and a, and a very interesting and inspiring contributor to workshops and to uh, lots of publications and uh, published by the poetry business. His lovely um, pamphlet, Imagine a Forest, has a lot of brave poems in it. Uh, and um, he uh, died last year, I think, wasn't it? I think so. yeah. yeah, yeah. But he was attending workshops until a few weeks before that. And so um, let's hear the poem that Joe Peters uh, wrote in his memory. Okay. Um, yeah, this poem is called "While We Weren't Look." This poem is called "While We Weren't Looking." Um, I. I didn't know Simon Curry very well, but I'd, I'd met him two or three times, and he was—he uh, was—he was quite a character. He came across as quite aristocratic in a way, and uh, uh, he seemed to seemed to know everybody. And he was—he he was a great raconteur. Um, so I was—I was pleased to have uh, to have had some small acquaintance with him. Um, and clearly, um, uh, Joe Peters knew knew him uh, rather better than I did. Uh, I think they lived quite close, uh, quite near to each other, did they? Um, While we weren't looking. Death took you by the hand before I'd got round to replying to your email, before I'd taken you the raspberry jam, before you'd brought me the apples and before I'd come and picked the damsons, us standing in companionable quiet around the tree, filling baskets with the clustered, blue-bloomed fruit. But as it happened, the season was right, and the harvest is home. Yes, Jo Peters is uh, a botanist herself. I think that's one of her um, uh, main passions, as well as poetry. Is that right, Jane? Jane, you run a stanza group, don't you, in Otley, and uh, you, you see Jane... Joe. Joe, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yes, uh, I I know Joe very very well, and um, Simon was um, in our in our stanza group for um, a while before the um, pandemic struck, and he uh, refused to have anything to do with Zoom. Um, <laughs> so, um, but uh, I I didn't know um, 
Simon nearly as well as, as Joe does, but um, it's struck me since that I've never known anybody for whom so many people have um, a, a sort of, not just a story to tell about him, but a very particular m memories. And um, he, he could be an incredible nuisance in a group. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think most people did, did forgive him. <laughs> yes, he, he um, was a bit of a name dropper. I think we could say, to put it mildly. But um, he had such um, a, a dry and acerbic take on the poetry world that um, he initiated some emails, an exchange of emails with me, like a kind of um, running commentary on the events that we'd been to together. And we certainly put the poetry world in its place. And it was so refreshing to get an email from Simon. And I was thinking, oh, goodness, I can think that as well. Uh, it was, he, he was a joy. Yeah. I think what, what, what Jo does in that poem, though, is, is she, she gives us a, a much more private Simon. Yes, and I do often I get like. sent um, elegies where it doesn't work if you don't know the subject of the poem, whereas this poem does, I think. It's a lovely poem in itself, which I'm sure many people could um, graft on to uh, people that they were fond of in that shared experience of, of um, an area of interest. Yeah, And I very much like Joe's other poem, which perhaps later in the programme, if we've time, we will uh, read and look at. But perhaps it's time for um, uh, some lovely music, which I know Simon, as a classicist and a, and a pianist, would have appreciated. This is for you, Simon, and it's Rossi Medru for Vaughan Williams. That was beautiful. We've actually just been looking at uh, the organ upstairs in the uh, beautifully restored chapel, which gives its name to Chapel FM here. And um, the participants in this discussion uh, are uh, among the many people who uh, walked in and just said, wow. And uh, Peter Spafford, the director here, is, is one of the... Uh, the prime movers and inspirations in having uh, brought this chapel to life. So, um, 
We're now going to turn to Suzanne Martin, who, uh, like Mick, is a first-time contributor, I think, to Penn Platform, is yeah, that right? Yeah, that's right, yes. Uh, but I was very struck by her submission, and she has actually four poems in this uh, issue. And so would you like to read us the one that you've chosen? Yes, <clears throat> I'd like to read The, the Rain Heart, which is my memory of really dismal holidays, uh, family holidays in the 1960s, um, which were usually either Blackpool or North Wales. So the rain hat. There are grainy, yellow-edged cinefilms of us, matching red jumpers homemade on the knitting machine, navy brine island trousers with stirrups. Holidays in May were cheap, and Wales was the cheapest. I didn't want to play with other children. I wanted to sit and read my comic, The Lady Penelope Summer Special, until the day of the downpour. Dad told me to give him the comic to cover his head. I cried. He shouted. It was ruined. They said they'd buy me another, but I knew we wouldn't find one, and we didn't. I find that so moving. <laughs> All these casual mm. hurts of childhood, mm. which perhaps the parents weren't even aware of, and it would have been so easy not to do. But th this is part of a sequence where I think reading between the lines and between the poems, there is uh, a, a, quite a, a, a forceful character there. Yes, I think so. And I, I think it was maybe that era that they'd, they'd come out of the war, they'd never really talked to anybody about anything that went on. Um, they'd been pushed into maybe jobs in factories with quite low horizons, really, mm. um, not a lot of money to spare. Mm. Um, and I think life was, was really quite difficult for them. Um, quite often had a temper, quite often shouted at us all. Um, but there was a lot of love there as well. Mm. Um, I think they, they also, there was a massive um, age gap, um, generation gap between parents and children that isn't there as much now. And I really felt that very much with my father. They were very sort of 1950s respectability, um, very, very strict upbringing, yeah. Yes, my father was the same. I did, I did see parallels there. He was brought up by an aunt who was born in the mid-1880s, so really a Victorian ethos which mm. carried itself through the hardships of the war. And yes, a lot of fathers of our generation were very angry men, I think, mm. and they did shout to let off steam. It was stiff upper lip or, or let rip, really, mm. and the children were often in the firing line, so... Yeah, uh, but I love the way um, you dealt with this in your sequence without sentiment, without self-pity. Mm. It, it's it's almost matter-of-fact, and, and I think that's where the power lies, that the reader infers it and works out the hurt for themselves without any authorial uh, commentary or direction. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about your other poems, uh, Suzanne, as there are four of them. Yes, I've, these are all poems that I wrote a little while ago. Um, and when I wanted to submit, I sort of pulled out three of them that were all actually written um, during the lockdowns when I signed up for lots of courses with the WEA, the Workers' Education Authority. Um, they were all open to people all over the country, so you didn't just have to sign up for a local one. Um, the Rain Hat was, was actually written at the um, the workshop that I did with Sally Baker, who was based in Hebden Bridge, and the other two um, with a teacher called Liz Cashdan, who's based in Bristol. Um, the Banger Record on Oldham Street, I, I don't remember quite what triggered that poem, um, but it was just that feeling that you can never actually reach back and touch the past but that day when I picked up that record in that carrier bag, it absolutely took me back because there is nothing else that feels like a record in a bag. And it was, it was quite an emotional moment for me. Um, the other one, Dad, um, again, 
I, I wanted to show his, his sort of his, his grumpy side, but his gentle side as well, because he would go out in all weathers um, and fiddle about with my car and, and get it starting when it wouldn't start and grumbled, you know, grumbled all afternoon about it, but he, he still went out and did it. Um, and the final one, Kept, is the only one... That I'm not saying it was mine. The, the only one that didn't come from a workshop or from, from a prompt that somebody else gave me. Um, and that was really just about the whole emptiness syndrome of your, your son leaving home and, and just being able to manage so well without you, which is great, but... Um, at the same time, it sort of takes takes a lot away from you. You've had that role of being a parent um, for for twenty odd years, and then suddenly they they don't need you, or they've got Google, they've got a smartphone, they will get by. Well, we we do have. Um, what was the record? The record now. Um, it didn't even have a title. It was just the DJ had had mashed together this. Um, mixture of, of lyrics and backing vocals by his wife and some other music from somewhere else and because I only ever had it on vinyl we couldn't actually play it um, so I, I did choose another piece of music that, that I thought Lady Penelope would like um. <laughs> Yeah and um, before we hear this piece of music um, if anybody has a copy of the Lady Penelope Summer Special from 1960 1966 they 66. are now collector's items um, Well if you have a spare <laughs> one um, uh, then um, I'm sure Suzanne would love to have it <laughs> Uh, so let's hear. Is it Tim? Tim Lovely, yes. Lovely um, electronic par excellence and ambient uh, ambient music. I think trip hop is it called? What are you doing? I, I would just call it trip hop or lo-fi. Right, <laughs> it's, it's it's all Greek to me. Mm. Um, so let's move now to Mick Jenkinson, who uh, is actually a musician himself, and we will be hearing uh, uh, some of his uh, one of his tracks after he has uh, read the lovely poem in issue ninety three that he wrote. Yes, this is um, another one of my many odes to my hometown. Uh, I don't seem to be able to get away from writing about uh, Doncaster, the place I love. Um, despite the fact that I wrote this in the wilds of Scotland, I think I was supposed <laughs> to be writing a song about what I could see out the window. And this came out. It's called This River. My God will probably reside somewhere along, somewhere beside this river. My God will probably re reside beside the River Don. Not in some sleepy, white, Andalusian hilltop aldea, nor in the hazy light of a tropical island shore. But down, deep down, here in the Don Gorge, where scintilla through high trees turns sceptics to devotees, flashing white on dolomite. And this river that's always run through everything I've ever done flows on beside me. I think many of us could uh, name uh, um, a river and uh, 
a, a soul's home, if you like, that um, we would like to write a poem about, and one or two of us might manage, but it can be hard. And I think sometimes being away from the place is what does trigger it. You said you were in the Highlands of yeah. Scotland. It's a strange thing, isn't it? Mm. It's like that absence making the heart grow fonder, even uh, within and, a week or so. And indeed giving you a perspective. Yes. I mean, you know, much of what James Joyce wrote about Dublin and Ireland was, was written in Trieste and uh, in, in the Mediterranean. Uh, and uh, he actually argued that he needed to live in the Mediterranean sunshine uh, <laughs> to write about uh, Ireland and to uh, to put it into perspective. And, and many, many writers uh, have found uh, that kind of uh, effect. So, um, in fact, there is a poem on the following page by Martin Johns, which is called Homecoming, one of the many serendipities of arranging our magazine actually in alphabetical order of surname uh, is the, uh, the the synergies that come up uh, with, with that organising principle. In fact, uh, I'm often delighted to hear that people haven't noticed that that is the order and have said, you know, oh, that was a, that was a very good order you put it in. And I, <laughs> and I thought, yeah, Excel put it in the order for me and uh, it, it obviously knew the poems. And uh, I like the way that people also will make connections which uh, might not have occurred uh, by doing it like that. So um, let's now um, go back to Jane, who chose another poem from the issue. And uh, let's uh, switch tack a little. Yes, I'm, I'm very pleased to be able to read... Um Jean Atkins' poem, The Like Being Not in the World. Um, I, I, I love this poem, uh, and um, I, I think it's the way it sort of flows around the subject and ends in exactly the right place. The Like Being Not in the World. We don't remember the dodo was called Fat Arse by Dutch sailors or that it fed its chicks on crop milk and could live for 20 years. We don't remember the dodo's visage was thought melancholy, or that it was ridiculed for being unafraid of humans. We don't remember the last dodo in captivity shipped in 1647 from Mauritius to Nagasaki. It arrived alive and was considered equal in value to a white deer and a bazoa. Remember, instead, Emmanuel Altham, who sailed to Mauritius in 1628 and wrote home, Right woe and loving brother, here are some very strange fowls called by ye Portingals, Dodo, which for the rareness of the same, the like being not in the world but here, I have sent you one by Mr. Purse, who did arrive with the ship at this island ye 10th of June. And in the margin added, of Mr. Purse you shall receive a jar of ginger for my sister, some beads for my cousins, your daughters, and the bird called Dodo, if it live. Tell us more about why you chose that poem. Um, I just really enjoy reading it. <laughs> I, think I, 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 I was really allowed to myself at home and just really enjoying it. <laughs> Yeah, I think we were we were talking before we came into the studio about how difficult it is to choose poems to read aloud because some of them um, really do their stuff on the page, but it can be quite tricky to read aloud, and others are just asking you to mm. to get your tongue round them. So uh, I know it's beautifully read. It reminds me of Muldoon's poem, "Meeting the British," um, where um, yeah, where they they. Uh, hand over to Native Americans a uh, blanket. I can't remember the exact line. Um, and um, it is uh, seeded with smallpox. 
Um, I'm embroidered with smallpox. That's the one. And and it, this poem creeps up on you in the same way. I think the 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 shock and what seems now to be the callous um, shipping over of um, dead birds and um, as, a, as a gift and um, they're not making the connection really between mm. um, the, um, the population dwindling and uh, just sort of people helping themselves really as trophies. There was a great mm. deal of... Um, trophy culture I think which um, started off the uh, train of extinctions of which the dodo is the most famous. I, th yeah. I think it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant title isn't it? The, yes. the like being not in the world yes. which is a bit puzzling at first. Very it? puzzling. But once once you you work it out it leads you into that long quotation Yes. later on in a, in a really good way. Yes, yes. Very, very, very well put together poem. Yes, yes, excellent, yeah. And, um, yes, yeah, so, Stuart, you chose another poem as well. Um, oh, no, you've, you read it, didn't you? You've, we, did, we've yeah. read and discussed Joe <laughs> Peters, so I won't put you on the spot for, for a, a third one. Um, but, Suzanne, yes, you, you have chosen another poem. Yeah, I've chosen The Unlocked Door, which is next to Stuart's poem and in the, the magazine um, and also begins in the churchyard the unlocked door we were in a churchyard looking at stones the priest was there I told him that you died because you had and it was on my mind he said he'd pray for you which was unexpected and for some reason at the time not wholly welcome though I am baptized confirmed I do not enter a church to pray only to wait for the old silence to settle about my shoulders and stop me still within. Open to anyone these thousand years, asking nothing, like a teacher waiting to discover if a student, having read the book, has anything to say. Yeah, we talked a little bit about Stuart's poem, which is facing it on the page, and uh, another serendipity, which um, I almost feel like patting myself on the back for, but uh, <laughs> it is just luck, really, and um, uh, it's one of the great pleasures of of editing and compiling uh, a magazine like this, that, that um, poems bounce off each other and, uh, and and leap off the page even more. Uh, in 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 good company. So, um, anything that you want to say about that, Suzanne? Well, we haven't mentioned. Did we, did you mention that it was by Chris Hardy? I'm sorry. No, I didn't. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I, I missed him. Um, yes, I, I just really enjoyed this poem when I, re I read it, particularly the middle stanza about being baptized, confirmed, and yet. You may have left all of that behind and yet you step into a church and it's all still there. It's as if you, you carry you carry something with yourself when you've been brought up maybe with a, a religious background and, and had to go to church, had to go to church on a regular basis. Yes, yeah. I think it's um, it brings Larkin into the 21st century, doesn't it? it it's almost impossible to shake off any um, scriptural... Uh, teachings that one has uh, mm -hmm. as a child, uh, I would imagine of, of of all religions that that's true. Whatever you uh, conclude as an adult yourself um, about their um, meaning, there is an atmosphere which comes with the place of worship, um, which which is really quite powerful, and um, you you realise with a shock how much you're imbued with with those um, frames of reference. The coincidence yeah. is that poem could be exploring Larkin's attitude to mm. spirituality and religion, couldn't it? Mm. Very much so. Mm. This sort of contradiction between wanting to reject author, um, orthodox religion and still seeking out some spirituality in the in the in the church in the premises. Mm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
For that that point that uh, that you made, Suzanne, about um, about the the primacy of of what you experience as a child. Uh, it's, I was I've always been struck by a poem. Well, not always. Ever since I discovered mm -hmm. this poem by Louise Gluck, that en ends with the lines: um, "We see the world once in childhood; the rest is only memory." Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, I've always been struck by that. Mm. Yes, I haven't heard that before. That's that's really impressive. Um, well, we are... Um, time is flying. I'm enjoying myself and I hope everyone else is. Um, we have uh, another very substantial poem which has been chosen by Mick. But before we before Mick reads that, um, may we hear your... Uh, your contribution, your musical contribution, Mick, uh, called Noid Art, which... Um, tell us a little bit about it just before we, we hear it. Well, the, the, the specific reason I brought that song in is in, in the, it's parallel to the river in so much as it's a spiritual home. This one was in Scotland, actually. Mm. Noid, Art is a, Noid Art is a little peninsula on the west coast of Scotland mm. that is very, very beautiful, very secluded, very, very peaceful. Uh, and it just struck me that I wanted to be there and I wanted to take my friends and my loved ones there. And uh, being a songwriter, that was uh, grist to the mill, really. OK, let's hear it. Lovely, Mick. Thank you. And the poem that you have chosen to read is by um, a, a long-established associate of uh, Penan Platform, Claire Chapman, who is um, who died in 2006, I think. Five, I think. 2005. Yeah. Thank you. And. Um, she, uh, I have, I have met her. I, when I've started attending the Pennine Poets meetings, I met her once or twice, and um, her poem is the uh, focus of the uh, critical appraisal and appreciation by uh, Dr. K. E. Smith, Ken Smith, and um, we have a. a piece by him in every issue so far and this one is entitled Manchester if you'd like to read us that sure Manchester I've come back to my city this place knows my tonsils my cracked ankle my uniform my rusting bike over my head the garden saplings rustle sew your back swallow your cod liver oil with your filthy fogs Eat up your Manchester air with your ration book. After your footsteps close abolished gates. Do you know this wetness, this brick? 
golden light rinses it like syrup on a pudding. Under the bombs, the demolition men, centuries totter, but your shape still holds. Catarl Manchester bunged my nostrils up, my accent's yours, your libraries fell open. I'll rattle the back door where the voices start, I'll take the chain off the day. Under pallid sun, slate gleams like seal skin. Dream parks spread out like tourists on a towel. City. I don't forget your war-splintered brick. My bike wheels knew the fissures in, of your pavement. In dreams, the new-built school murmurs and chants. In dreams, new congregations pack the church. Manchester, I'll read you in book after book. Your soot kills round me like a morning eiderdown. Tell us why you chose it. Um... Two reasons, particularly. One is is the, is the the thematic uh, relationship to my own poem. Um, so it's poems about places I love, uh, if if they can take you there. And I spent a lot of time in Manchester in the seventies. I guess this is maybe situated a little bit earlier than that, but I I recognise the the geography. I recognise the landscape, both emotional and physical. So I found it really really moving. It captured a lot of what I thought about the city when I when I spent time there. It certainly spoke to me as I lived there in my teens and I have the same mixed feelings about Manchester, which is transformed now. When I uh, started secondary school there in the centre of town, uh, Witchworth Street was just a, a black ravine of warehouses still soot-covered and um, coming from a small country village, it was uh, it was a completely different planet. What does this poem say to you, Suzanne, as a Mancunian? It's, it does take me right back to my childhood when I think we didn't go into the centre of Manchester very often. There had to be a real reason to, to get on a bus and go there. But as you say, I remember the, the, the huge, the, the tall black buildings... I remember being on the bus and you could see where the pollution finished and the sky started, that grey, thick cloud of, of smoke mm. over the city. Mm. Um, but as you say, it, it is completely transformed now. And as you walk through Manchester, I have lived there all my life, I can turn a corner and not recognise a single thing that mm. I, I see in front of me. Mm. Um, but at, at the same time, there are still old crumbling corners there. You know, there are mm. still remnants of it. Well, we're nearly out of time, but um, I should just say that that poem was published in March 1987 in a Pennine platform, which by then was um, a journal 15, uh, 20, 20, 22 years old, I think, if my maths is right, which it probably isn't. And um, so, we're, yeah, we're, we're long established, but we're welcoming submissions and publishing submissions from uh, people who who have just discovered the magazine, people who have just discovered their uh, urge to write or to rewrite uh, or, or, or have rediscovered an urge which perhaps uh, dwindled in their teens or with working life. So um, do um, keep an eye out for us and look on the website for the... Um, for a taste of each issue and uh, look forward to uh, to welcoming you to its pages um, uh, if that's at all possible. Uh, thank you very much, Peter, and uh, contributors, uh, present and not present, for um, producing this um, wonderful experience in the studio and on paper. Well, thanks, Julia, and thanks, everyone, for coming in and coming from all over the place. So it's, do come again. And, uh, yeah, and Julia, you're very welcome with Pan Platform any time. And uh, it's great to have a sort of, yeah, whisk around that particular edition, the current one. And thanks, Linda, for being on the desk. Uh, we've got team music in a minute and uh, plenty more this evening. The Delhi at 7.30, a lot of, lot of new writing in that as well. We'll be back. We love the words uh, next week. Goodbye.
Love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. Yeshuva Kaim